What's up? What's up, everybody? We're going to be going on. In about a minute, hold your horses. And this is a beat made by Jimmy P. Come on in, come on in. What's up, everybody? It's your girl, Hadija Toto, and you are listening to Entrance You, the podcast where we are deliberate creators of our own realities, serving united in light during the darkest hour. We foster spaces of love and acceptance. We are one people living through different simulations. We define and choose to be our own truths while living in a co-created environment within multidimensional realities. Now, with that being said, we are just curious to know how others create their worlds as inspiration to create a better world of knowledge and overstanding for ourselves. Everything we're going to say, you already know, and you don't have to agree with us. We simply want to share with you what is works for us along our journeys. So if you're ready, without further ado, I would like to introduce my beloved, beautiful guest, Miss Kia. But before I go ahead and bring her on stage, I want to tell you a little bit about her. She is a wife and a mother who is devoted to her husband and has beautiful children. They're they're so beautiful with amazing personalities. And they have one beautiful child who we'll be talking about uh, throughout the podcast today. And all of our children, all of her children have blessed her in many ways. And they've 
been in trials and tribulations and, you know, in, in the relationships and, and just in, in life in general. And we're going to talk about how the overcoming of that and do we run towards faith or do we run away from the faith? What do we do when trouble comes? So we're going to go ahead and I just want to introduce Miss Kia. Hi, everybody. <laughs> hey, hey, girl. Hey, girl. How are you? Hey I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. I'm so glad that you're here. Thank you for coming on our show. Yes. Yes. Thanks for having me. I love it. So I just want to get straight into it. You know, I remember when we were talking, you know, we were originally supposed to be talking about not being the girl on social media. Right. <laughs> and then something actually happened where we ended up talking about your husband, your children, and it just went, phew, the conversation did. So I want to talk about, I know you said you have a very special child. So I want to talk about when you said that in your blog, what did you mean you have a very special child? Okay. So I have, my son is um, born with Down syndrome. Um, and with that, he has a lot of cognitive um, developmental delays. Um, with that, he also was born with, um, three holes in his heart, which, um, because of those holes kind of made him very sick as a baby. So at about six months of age, he got really sick and the doctor and his cardiologist didn't really know what to do, um, as far as what direction they wanted to go as far as medication or, or, you know, just kind of um figuring out what it what this virus was that he had um it was just a common cold but because he had three holes in his heart he just wasn't able to um withstand it um so he ended up being admitted to the hospital one morning he had a fever of like 105 over 105 degrees um and there it just went from that moment to a seven month hospital stay where he went through cardiac arrest um he was intubated. He was in a medically induced coma. Um, he was hooked up to so many different machines. And it was just about seven months of a hospital stay. Um, and eventually he ended up being able to get heart surgery once he was healthy enough to have it. Um, so at about, I think it was my birthday, actually, he was one years old. He went and got open heart surgery and um, we brought him home about a month later. And um we still have to deal with some of the challenges from that seven months he endured at the hospital. Wow. And, and when you were going through that, just as your family, when you were going through that as you're being a wife, you're being a mother, but at the same time, the family is going through these challenges at the same time. So what, how did you guys keep, stability, if at all, during that time? Well, during the time he was in the hospital, we had a lot of people kind of coming together. Um, me and my husband, I mean, we just literally had to be there for each other. But, you know, we had our mothers and, you know, our siblings and stuff. They were emotionally supportive. Um, and we were just trying to stay positive, trying to stay prayed up. Um, we were praying for a miracle at this point because the doctors were saying he wasn't going to make it. Um, so we were just just praying for the best. Um, 
it wasn't easy because at the time my husband was working and I actually, I was on, um, I was off for family medical leave, but I ended up just having to stay completely out to care for him. Um, mm -hmm. So there were some nights I would spend the night at the hospital and he would be at the house. Um, and sometimes he would spend the night. So it was, it was a long seven month period. Um, but we just kind of came together and supported each other in that seven months of him being in the hospital. And then, so can you take me through like when you're in the hospital, you know, and you, you just go in because it's basically a fever, right? And so like what, what happens in the in-between time? Like what were the doctors saying? Was there any type of like doubts or times when you felt like, you, you know, where your faith was challenged? It was definitely challenged, um, but he, he went in, he had a, a high fever plus a, um, a cold, it was cold symptoms and a high fever. He also had three holes in his heart, so he, the way he should. So once they admitted him that particular day, um, they ended up taking him and rushed him to another hospital. We were still in our pajamas because like literally it was, and I took his temperature and it was that high. So they rushed into the hospital. We went to the house, we grabbed clothes and we followed them to the hospital. And um, when he got there, he, there was just a team. There's a team of doctors in the room with him. And he ended up um, being, they ended up uh, putting this big rubber thing on him to kind of, uh, I don't know what it, it's called, but it's supposed to regulate his body temperature because they weren't able to get temperature down. So it's like this big yellow rubber like body suit they had, they had him on. And um, by the time I saw him, he was already asleep. And that was the last time I actually saw him. Hey, hey, hey. Welcome back. Welcome back. Yeah. It's okay. So you said by the time that the doctors had saw him, like what were what were some of the even the comments that the doctors did they have did they have the faith that you know he would make it? No, some of them did. Um, but during that seven month stay, you know, you're gonna have you're gonna run into many different doctors, many different nurses. And some nurses were helpful, some doctors were helpful, some some doctors were just like, Oh, he's not gonna make it. He needs a, a heart and a lung transplant, and as sick as he is, he's he's not gonna get it. And they would, you know, kind of chuckle with it as if it was funny, but like that was their that was their humor to I don't know, maybe lighten the load. I don't really know. Um I don't really know. It just wasn't really great bedside manner. So a lot of times we felt like, well, dang, like this is our child laying here. Like you think this is funny? Like this is not a game. You know, like you don't have a child laying here fighting for his life with all these tubes coming out of his neck and arms and chest and stuff like that. So a lot of times it was frustrating, like, um, you know. Yeah, it's almost like an, an insensitivity to you know, just because that's something that they see every day. Right. They they expect, you know, you to kind of have the same reaction as them. And it's, it, it is, I was going to say it seems insensitive, but it is insensitive. And it's, 
it's one of those things where it's kind of like, you know, when when we used to, so I met Kia when when she was my actually my first teacher trainer ever when I was 16 years old. And one of the things was like, you know, as a teacher, you watch kids, children get hurt all the time. You know, oh, he just fell off the slide. He'll be fine, you know? But then when you tell the parents, they're like, you know? But it's like having that sensitivity and it seems that you didn't get that in the doctor's office. And so how did you keep the faith? How did you keep the faith alive? How did you, how did you go? Were you crying? Like what, what was happening in your mind? Um, It was definitely an emotional roller coaster, but I just knew that he was going to come through it. I I felt that God told me that he was going to bring him through this and as ugly as it looked, and it was like every time he reassured me everything was going to be fine, something would happen. I would get a call at two o'clock in the morning. And I'm, every time my phone rang at two o'clock in the morning, I was on edge because he was always the hospital giving an update. And they would call and it would say, hey, um, things took a turn for the worse. And I'm like, what the heck does that mean? You know. So every time I felt that he reassured me that things would be okay, something would happen that I feel in hindsight was testing, you know, my faith on what he told me that he was going to bring him through this. So, you know, we would have to, you know, go go to the hospital and see what was going on, continue to pray over him, continue to be positive. And, you know, he, he came out of it, you know, eventually. And what was, what was your relationship? I know you said that you did a lot of prayer and, you know, you prayed it through. So what was your relationship with God before, you know, this happened? Was it always like this or how was it prior? No. Um, so I grew up, my mom went to church. Um, well, she took us to church. She actually was, um, actually she, she was a Muslim. Then she was Jehovah's Witness. Then she was Baptist. Um, so I grew up Baptist and she, I knew what I was supposed to do. Like she gave me the, you read your Bible, you pray. So naturally when something happened like that, that's what I went to. Can I say I had a relationship? Like me and God was like tight. We was buddies. No, (laughs) I said my prayers over my food and I said my prayers when I went to bed. But as far as like being in a relationship with him and being connected and close to him and reading his word. No, I was not like that. I just knew I needed help. And I knew that God was the only person, the only the only thing that can give me that at that moment. Nobody else can do what he could do based off of what my mother taught me growing up. Right, right. You know, it's so interesting that like it, it seems like you constantly have to like unlearn and relearn and unlearn and relearn and unlearn and relearn. And it's like this constant cyclical thing that happens throughout life. So when when you're learning or or even going through these life processes, especially this one in particular, you know, what was it like before, like before all of this happened, did you know that your child was going because you know they have a lot of tests and stuff these days so did you know that your child was going to have down syndrome or is that something that came about later so i there was a there are tests and i did take a test while i was pregnant i think you take it at like 12 weeks or nine weeks something some weeks 
early on. And <laughs> it came out positive. The doctor called me and she said, hey, your, your results came back positive. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? And she said, your child may have a you know, abnormality. And I was, she was like, but you're, you're young. I was like 26, maybe when I had him. And she said, the chances of that happening at your age is very slim to none. And there's a lot of um, false positives with this test. So she sent me to um, a specialist that I had to continue to follow during my pregnancy. And they had to rule out a couple of things. I think it was like three to five things and everything was ruled out in those tests. So, you know, we actually went to dinner and celebrated and I was like, okay, everything's fine. Everything's going to be good. And then the day he was born, we found out he actually did have Down syndrome. So, um, but that day was the day that like he couldn't breathe. So they rushed him to the NICU. He turned blue and he actually stayed there for a month. So it was like the, as soon as he was born, he had complications. Mm, and how long, how long was it between the open heart surgery and him being born? What was that time span between? Is this something that was constantly happening during this time? No. So he, he was born. He spent a month at the hospital, transferred to another hospital. So about a week, I think he was there for about maybe a week and a half. He came home. So at about before he was two months, he came home. He came home with like a whole bunch of medicine, round the clocks medicines for his heart and his lungs to make sure that he can, you know, breathe. Well, for his heart at the time, he didn't have lung issues yet. Um, so from two months to about six months, he, we were fine we were able to feed him um like he was going to feeding therapy because he was uh he had an ng tube in his nose because of his heart was um because of the holes in his heart when he babies who just drink out of a bottle do it with no problem but when you have when you have holes in your heart it's difficult for you to like do anything walking drinking a bottle it takes energy so he had a feeding tube so he was going through feeding therapy and everything prior to him getting sick. So he got sick at about six months of age. Um, he went to the hospital, went through a series of cardiac arrests and all these other issues. He ended up needing a um, tracheostomy while he was there. Um, so once they released him, they didn't release him until they, he got heart surgery. So they released him to a rehab center. And then from the rehab center, they released him to another hospital so that he can get um, his cardiac repair, his um, heart, uh, open heart surgery. Um, and then he stayed there for about a month healing. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then he, we were able to bring him home, but we brought him home with round the clock. If we thought the medicines before was round the clock, this was like round, 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 round the clock. Um, and then we had like this big, huge oxy oxygen tank because his lungs were so beat up from him being on ventilators and stuff. So he came home with a whole, pretty much half the hospital that we had to kind of um, deal with once he, he got home. That, whew, that takes a strong family to be able to go through that and to, and to stay together. You know what I mean? Like, one thing that like, as you're telling the story and I'm empathizing with you is I'm thinking of myself in your shoes. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
how did you how did you vent how did you you know did you break down you know how did you what was what was on your mind that kept your faith alive like i know you can say you know you know i have faith in god but what does what does that faith look like you know what i mean like when you are looking at your child in the hospital bed and, and doctors are saying, haha, we might as well pull it, you know, like, and they're being insensitive. You're looking at your child and it's like, you know, what was the reaction of your husband? What what were your children thinking? And most of all, like how, who, who was the strong one, you know? So I will say while he was in the hospital, my faith was like on lock. I, Cause I knew, I knew we was bringing him home. Nobody was gonna tell me you need to make plans. Like, he's not going to make it. I knew we were bringing him home. So I was, like, on lock with it. When he got home, it was very challenging. There was no – it was just us. So we had nurses eventually, but it was very challenging. So my faith wasn't as – it fell off because now, now I got to deal with some new stuff, you mm -hmm. know. And I felt like, okay, God, this was your plan your plan to me is stupid. Like, I don't, <laughs> I, don't I mean, to be honest, I, I, I was like, God, you're, you're the one who's supposed to make plans for our lives. Right. This plan, I, I feel like it's flawed. I feel like I could have came up with some better stuff than what you just came up with. You got me dealing with this my husband's dealing with his sister and he's sitting here dealing with this. And like, this was your plan. Like, I did, did you mess up? And I had, you know, I questioned it for a while and, um, I don't want to say I lost faith in him, but I just, I questioned why he allowed things to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, like, mm -hmm. why, why do we have to go through the things? Why do we have to go through difficult times? Why do we have to deal with this? Why does he have to deal with it? And he's, he's, you know, not even, he's just a, a baby. Like, why does he have to deal with that? So a lot of the times it was a why for me. I don't, mm -hmm. I just don't get it. Um, mm -hmm. And who had to be the strong one? We both did um, at different times because mm -hmm. there were times my husband was strong and I was weak and, you know, he was there for me and I would be there for him. There was times we was both weak and <laughs> nobody was strong, um, you know, so it's just that's just how it is. You know, it's not it's not perfect. Nothing's perfect. Uh, I can't say, oh, when I was down, he he was uh, he was up. There was sometimes mm -hmm. we were both down and we had to both bring each other up, you know, separately. Or sometimes I would stay down and he'd be up. And, you know, it was just, we just had to deal with it. We had to figure it out. And in, in that, in that you said earlier, you said, I don't know why difficult things have to happen. Now that you are where you are, have you been able to kind of connect the dots back to learn like what was your so to say process of lesson or like what did you learn or still learning it from that experience so it took me a it took me a couple years um i wasn't searching for the answer i just felt for a couple years god's plan is stupid <laughs> um what took me out of it was someone telling me not knowing, not even knowing my situation really, that 
And I, I will say for the longest time, I would feel sorry for myself. I felt sorry for my life. I felt like everybody should roll out the red carpet for me and my family because we had a special needs child. Nobody had to go through what we went through. And one day this lady said, everybody goes through something. And she she was very like, everybody goes through something, like get over it <laughs> situation. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, I was like, wow, I'm not going to. I'm not going to lick my wounds for the rest of my life because Mm -hmm. this is our normal. We have to embrace our normal. Um, And, you know, I had to realize like, you know, he has an older sister. She's watching how I handle this challenge. So if, if I am complaining and I'm kicking my feet and I'm licking my wounds, what am I teaching my children, my other children that are watching me? I had to be strong for my children. I had to be strong for my husband when he is feeling, you know, weak. I had a, this is what we have to deal with. So, you know, this is just what it is. I'm not going to make no excuses. We're, we're, you know, no different from anybody else. And that's just how I had to carry it. You said that someone told you that, you know, basically they're not going to feel bad for you. Yeah, and in the moment I wanted I, I wanted to punch her in her face when she said it. <laughs> but um I was irritated at the time when I was talking, but when she said it, I got quiet and I was like, dang, she's absolutely right. Cause I don't know what she's going through. I don't know mm-hmm. who she's taking care of at her house. Like, who am I to put myself on this pedestal and make it seem like I'm going through the worst thing in the whole wide world? Like, I don't know. She could be battling cancer right now. And I'm sitting over here trying to make her feel bad for me. And she, I don't even know her situation. So I had mm. to stop using my story as a, a way out. I had to stop using my story as an excuse on why I chose to do or not do you know, what I was supposed to do, not do. You know what? I, you really, you really touched something in me just now when you said I had to, when you said I had to basically change the story. Like I had to stop like leaning on my story and how did, so how did you change that? Like, I know you said this moment is kind of what made you kind of choose a different narrative. So then what did you begin? What did the new story sound like? So the new story, I had a new baby and I had nothing but time on my hands because I would, while she was at school, I would be sitting at home pumping milk Mm -hmm. and I was bored out of my mind. And my son, he had nursing at the time. So he was at school. My daughter was at school, husband's at work. I'm the only one in the house and I'm bored out of my mind. I want to go back to the gym, but I can't because I'm hooked to this daggone breast pump. And I'm bored and I'm not even watching TV. Like I won't even turn the TV on. I literally just sat there and I would, you know, just try to figure out like, is this life? Like mm. I accepted my son. I get it. One lady told me one time I need to thank God for him. Mm. And instead of that, I was like, what you want me to thank him for the the a through the the z that he 
Yep. Right. <laughs> and I had to really sit on that. And I was like, and she said, you need to thank him because he chose you to be that boy's parents. And mm. not everybody can handle that. There are some people who kill their, their kids. You know, there's some people that abuse their kids. They don't feed their kids. I will tell you right now, my son is not supposed to be here today. He's about to be 11 next month and mm -hmm. they, they will come out. So, um, so yeah, there, there are some families that wouldn't even accept him. There's some parents that would be like, oh wait, he has Down syndrome adoption. Like I no, right. no, thank you. I'm good. You know? So, um, it just took me a lot of sitting, a lot of reading my Bible, a lot of praying. I would just kind of sit with a notepad and a pen and just, I wanted to hear God's voice. I need you to give me some directions on what I'm supposed to do with this life because I don't know. I'm confused. I'm bored. And I know this is not what life, I know this is not the life you want me to have. So I need you to tell me what I'm supposed to do. And I would sit there. And sometimes I would just sit there with the pen. There'd be nothing on my pad. And I just kept sitting and sitting until there was some writing on that book because I was determined to hear what he had to say. I just wasn't about to give up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and actually put your blog underneath because as you were writing, you know, is this the part where it did inspire your blog or is this like when did your you said you would write you would sit there until you could write when is the point where you actually decided to write and when did you decide to put the writing out there for okay. everyone else to share to share it with everyone else so once i sat and i had my you know jesus moment <laughs> i um changed my mindset and that, that's what I got out of sitting there. I had to change my mindset. I had to unlearn my old ways of thinking and doing so that I can adopt the new ways of thinking and doing that he needed me to do. Once that was adopted and once I walked in that, I realized, you know, I have, I, I have a whole new perspective. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I did write in there was blog. He wanted me to blog. So I said, okay. You know, I, I'm an artist. I know how to draw, but okay, you know, I can write a little bit. <laughs> so I just, you know, it took me a while. I didn't do it immediately. It took me about three years to finally do it, do the blog, come up with the blog. And I just, you know, I try to get something out there every month or whatever he, you know, leads me to, um, to write. You know, it could be mm -hmm. twice a month, but um, I try to get it as active and I try to address topics you know, um, that I feel like people need to, or I feel that God is put on my heart. There's sometimes mm -hmm. I'll just write on a paper an idea because it popped in my head. I'm like, okay, that's the next block. And I'll write it down and ask him to lead, lead my, lead my fingers so I can get it out there. I love that. I love that you, it seems like you surrender yourself to the, the power and, and the, the strength and it's like just giving yourself over and doing that through writing. And I think it's amazing just even to see how different people do that. 
you know, some people it's through writing, some people it's through music, some people it's, you know, through painting. But what does, I know earlier you said that you would just sit and wait or, or and search for God's voice. So my question to you is, what does God's voice sound like to you? Um, so his voice to me, when people ask me this question, it's not like a, I can't be like, oh, he sound like Samuel L. Jackson. Like, I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not like this, this crazy, like for me, at least. It's not uh-huh. like this, this deep, you know, thunder. It's right. literally my voice in the form of a thought mm. that is in my heart or in my my brain. And it always leads back to the Bible. So I know the Bible is is a, a book that is alive. So mm-hmm. when I read it, I want the chapters, I want the verses to, you can read the Bible front and back, I don't care, 500 times a day. If it's not in your heart, you're it's never going to be remembered. So if right. something comes in my in my my thought process or my my you know if I'm driving and it's like oh don't forget to pick up such and such, it's not me. I can't take the credit for God's work. Right. I feel like he he sets me up for success, and if without him, I wouldn't be able to remember nothing. I wouldn't. Re- be able to remember how to cook. He's the one behind everything that I do. So I am always going to give him credit for every thought and every, the blog is all him. So when I blog, I literally pray, okay, God, lead my fingers. Cause I want this to be my typing, but your words. Amen. 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 And it's why we say, uh, Alhamdulillah, all praise due to Allah or our praise due to God. Um, I think that that's beautiful. And it, it's beautiful how faith, no matter no matter what, I don't even think it's, you know, religious. At times it's the relationshiping with God, you know, like it's like the vehicle you take to get to that destination. Right. And I love, I mean, like we're encouraged to study all things. So for me, I love opening the Bible. I, like I, I know more of the Bible than I do the Quran, you know, cause I'm newer to it, but like what in it, what, what were your go-to verses or what was your go-to verse that you kind of made a mantra when you were feeling some type of way or you needed that source of inspiration? Where did you find yourself often flipping your Bible to? Um, I usually would go to Galatians or Ephesians um, or Proverbs. Proverbs was 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 another one. Um, but what I used to do was I used to get post-its and I used to write down, when I would be studying, I would write down verses and I would just stick it on the wall. Um, that resonated with me. So anytime I walked by it, I would read it and be like, oh yeah, that's right. Because you can, you can forget, you know, you can forget mm-hmm what you read uh i know i got three kids so i'm forgetting a lot of stuff um and i was just like writing on a post-it and <laughs> stick it to the wall or sometimes i'll stick a post-it on the bathroom mirror or i'll stick a post-it on the wall um going to going out the door um so everybody who leaves the house and comes in the house can look at that particular verse i like and do you think that it that you actually doing that and kind of like seeing that, do you think that that helped you uh, in your faith of the like the repetition or 
like subliminal messages or anything? I mean, I definitely feel like it, if it didn't help me, it helped the other people in this house who've seen it. You know, mm -hmm. um, I posted it there because I loved it. I loved it and I wanted to be reminded of it. So sometimes I would just go and stare at the wall and just be like, that's my verse. And, <laughs> that's <I'm> my verse. <laughs> so, and then I would leave, you know, but um, I just did it because I wanted I, I just wanted it to just be stuck in my heart forever. So I would write it down so that it could find its place back in my heart if it if it had left. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And did you find it, how often did you find it leaving? And how often did you have to look at it again or, or go mm -hmm. to the wall and just stare at it and reread it? So the best way I can explain this when it leaves your heart, it's because you are no longer connected. Mm -hmm. um, your phone needs to charge. When mm -hmm. you get connected, the battery gets low and it could die, you know, eventually if it doesn't have that juice. I feel like that's the same thing with spending time with God, opening your Bible. The less time you do that, your battery just continues to go down and go down and go down until your your scriptures are just staying there no more you you forgot what was in your heart it's to me it's a daily thing and it's like you know it's 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 like you can't cheat eating healthy mm -hmm. you can't outrun your fork you know mm -hmm. um your your food is going to tell on you <laughs> it's going <laughs> to tell on you <laughs> she done ate all the biscuits she had all the the ham she ate everything. Okay. We can tell because, you know, of what she, she's looking like. Right. So you can tell when people are in their word and they're praying, they have a walk, they have a talk, they, they can empathize, they can mm -hmm. um, forgive, they can not judge others. They, there's just a walk that goes with that. It's, you cannot fake that funk. Right. Right. You know, it reminds me, as you were saying that, of, uh, you know, you could you can't outrun the fork and stuff. It reminds me of when I was younger. I was like maybe five years old. And uh, we were on our way actually from Kentucky and we we're moving to Virginia. And there was some, you know, sodas and juices in the back of the car. And I guess my young self, I drank all of it. Like there was no, you know, there was nothing left you know and my mom was like who drank all of this did you drink all of this and i was like no i didn't do it but as we were kept driving on the highway i had a pee mm -hmm. and so it was like that was the evidence that showed up of you know like it is one of those things where you know like what you said is like we can tell it's like you know you're you're a personal trainer, right? And so for you, even if you have a client saying, yeah, I'm 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 eating right. And you like somebody lying. <laughs> How do you post the brownie and ice cream on Instagram, but you eat right. right. <laughs> you, you just can't outrun it. I, I think that people feel like with the Bible it's there. I read it. I already read it. Mm -hmm. um, 
it's just not it's not a book even with a book i i read a lot of inspirational books sometimes i have to go back and reread them because there's something there's always going to be something that you read previously that when you read it again it may resonate differently mm -hmm. it may hit you in a different place that it didn't hit you before because you didn't go through what you had just recently went through so it hit mm -hmm. you differently so that's how the bible is it's like you got to go back and reread go back and read proverbs go back and read you know, revelation, like it, it did, the words didn't change, but your perspective and how open your heart is at the moment, come on, changed, you know, come on, that's it right there. You know, uh, my mentor, he always says, he's like, you need to reread the information that I give you because every time you read it, I guarantee you it's going to be different. Now, you know, the first two or three days, I was like, all right, I'm not I'm not rereading it. I don't care what you say, Mr. Mentor. Ah, Mr. Mr. Brown, I ain't rereading this. And then as I kept reading it, like someday, of course I'm skipping a few days because I don't believe what he's talking about. So, but when I went back to it, like maybe seven days, eight days later, when I decided to be compliant, um, I read it and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, it's like this increased awareness mm -hmm. that I didn't have before. So now I'm reading it. Like, that was one of the things of like, when I had switched from Christianity into being Muslim, when the, the scripture in Islam made so much, like the Quran made so much sense to me. And it was just like, I had increased my knowledge, increased, increased. And then when I went back to the Bible, I was like, Oh, this book is so beautiful. Oh my goodness. And then it was like, it was, I kid you not, it was so weird because I had a moment where I was like, maybe I'm supposed to be a Christian. You know, like, <laughs> let me, let me go, you know, but it just made everything that much richer of like as you increase knowledge and then you go back to the old knowledge of what you thought you knew. Well, what you thought you knew you knew, which you did know, but you actually ended up end up knowing even more. Right. from the same thing um so what what if anything we have about three minutes left and i want to ask you a few questions just before we wrap things up for a parent who either a let's let's go with, with let's make this a two-part question what would you tell a parent who is found out that she she did the test, you know, she's pregnant, she did the test, and the test came back positive that she has a child who has a, let's say, Down syndrome. What advice would you give her if she's debating on whether or not to keep the baby, if her and her family are, are debating on whether or not to keep the baby? I mean, I would definitely encourage her to keep the baby. Um... The thing with Down syndrome or, or any other abnormality, whether it be like a big old mole on your nose or, you know, a knot you were born with on your head, um, perfection only exists in our head. And God doesn't see Down syndrome. He doesn't see, oh, she has a big, huge wart on her back um, or she has one arm and he only, he, he's missing half of his lip. 
he doesn't see us as flawed. He made us the way he is supposed to make us. So I would encourage that family, keep your child because perfection only exists in your head. You're looking for something that you, you don't understand that you, God is blessing you with something that you actually need. You don't understand it right now, but you will understand it one day. If you are willing to be patient, it will change your life. Mm, that's 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 deep. That's deep. And even listening, listening to you know your story, like you know, what are those times that you know make it worth it? You know, because I know we talked a lot about you know him in the hospital and things, but what would be the thing that makes it worth it of being that that parent? Well, my son teaches me. Um, so just a just a kind of a aftermath of his hospitalizations and everything like that. My son is now um, he's disabled. He's legally blind. Um, he's in a wheelchair. He's unable to eat, so he's tube fed. Um, he doesn't have oxygen or anything like that, but he does have breathing treatments daily because of his lung issues. Um, but the one thing that makes it worth it is when I hear him laugh because he's the happiest child the happiest person. And I feel like from what he's gone through, he has every right to feel like, you know what, forget you and you and you and the rest of y'all, <laughs> you know, but he keeps, he's so happy. He's very content. And he teaches me to show up every day because mm -hmm. he fought his way through life with, you know, with God and everything that he's been through him, not even being able to like, you know, wipe his own butt at 10 years old, you know, mm -hmm. and you have to tube feed, um, feed him with the tube. He's, he's happy. He's content. And it teaches me that I need to be content with what God has given me. I don't need to complain because he never complains. He's always happy and always smiling and very adaptable. I love that. I love that. Even in what he goes through, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, right? Because and like you highlighted, he's going through that, yet he's the one that's still happy and and he's the one that was, you know, on that on that hospital bed and and doctors saying X, Y, and Z. And I think one of the most interesting parts is is that he's not even the one to be able to tell his own story. It's like, it's you telling his story. It's his sisters telling his story. It's your husband telling his story. And it, it's such a beautiful thing as, as I'm sitting here really thinking about it because you're, you're being a voice to someone who is voiceless, like voiceless in terms of like the physical voice. Right. But I'm sure the, action, the actions are loud and you know. Right. Um, my other my other question was, what advice would you give to a new parent who, you know, just found out just found out that they would have uh, a child that has Down syndrome? Wait, like, how would they how would they prepare for? You know, that kind of is it is it all the same or does it come in different degrees? How does that work? I would say you can't. 
with any child that you have, you can't prepare. There's not a book. Hey, you're about to get a child with Down syndrome or autism, or you're about to get just a child. You mm-hmm. can't prepare for that. That's just something that you have to figure out. Um, you have to figure out your baby. And once your baby becomes a toddler, then you got to figure out a toddler. It's almost like they go through different phases, but specifically for Down syndrome, you can't prepare. I would say, I would say connect it to the source mm-hmm. and just try to be as positive and change your outlook as much as you can because this child is going to need, he's going to need, he or she is going to need your guidance, your love. Just because they have Down syndrome doesn't mean that they are unlovable. Um, they need love too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you shouldn't withhold love from a child just because in your mind, you have an idea of perfection that only exists in your own head. Mm. I, I love what you just said. Like, I think that's so beautiful is to basically show that it, it's, it's not perfect and you're never going to receive that. And also like, you know, because when people think they think of this, whatever they think in their head of what their family is going to be, I'm quite sure, you know, having a child challenged with those kind of cognitive things does that's not, that might not be the first thing you think of right, right. um but i i like the fact that that's why i wanted you here today even is to have that awareness you know because i don't i don't hear you don't hear or see them you know what i mean it's kind of like not to be funny but it's kind of like you know dick gregory and his theory of like where did all the albinos go after right you know, after elementary school or high school, like where'd they go? They just disappear, like where'd they go? You know? And I just say that to compare and say, I feel the same way about, you know, like, you know, with cognitively challenged children is that, you know, I've I've seen it as well, like being in high school, I used to volunteer with some of the children and I would go to their classrooms every day. And I was just amazed at how, like, even though, like, sure, maybe slobber was going down their, you know, face or snot was going down their nose. And that there would be, like, you know, the physical responses that they would have to themselves to get that feeling. You know, even though that was that, I was just amazed at how happy these children were. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, did they know you know, it makes me wonder more about consciousness and God. Like, do they know what they're going through? And like, do they have the, or or are they just going through it, you know? Um, but one of the last questions that I have is what does you being the creator of your own reality mean to you? Um being the creator of my own reality, I can't do anything without God. So the creator of my reality to me means doing what I'm called to do in whatever form or fashion God has called me to do it. Um, if that's blogging, if that's painting on trees, whatever it is he has led me to do. Um, I'm going to do. I feel like um, I know that I'm supposed to touch the hearts of of women. I feel like 
women, we have this, we're perfect mentality. <laughs> and we're not. Um, I think we, you know, always are pointing the finger at the male. The men, the, he did that, he did that. And I, I want to encourage women to put your finger down and look at yourself. Okay. Um, look at yourself because if you're spending more time pointing fingers at that man, you are doing no work on yourself. Um, even though that man might be wrong, <laughs> you need to work on yourself and stop pointing fingers. I'm just, I, I get tired of the whole men are, men are this, men are that. Women are also this and that, but we got to do the work. I love that. Like he said, I would encourage women to put down their finger and look at themselves. Like mm -hmm. that, <laughs> as I'm typing it, um, I just think that that in itself is, you know, you do hear a lot of uh, male bashing and some of them well-deserved, you know, <laughs> but I don't think, you know, any, as far as like bashing goes, like anyone necessarily deserves to be bashed just because that's kind of like, I use that lightly, you know what I mean? Not, not, not when it comes to politics, but um, when it comes to life, you know, and people going through their process, I think it the journey looks different for everyone. Right. And I just love that you said that of pointing the finger down and actually looking in the mirror and looking at ourselves and what we want and what we have to offer. That's beautiful. My final, final last question. <laughs> no, this is the real last question. Okay. My last question is, where can people find you? What is your, um, I know we have the ticker down below of your blog running across the screen, um, but where can people find you being on IG, Facebook or whatever? Um, so on IG, I'm Kiki Fit Love. So it's just K-I-K-I-F-I-T-L-U-V. Wait, hold on. Let, let, let's spell that for people because you got people like me that are like, huh? <laughs> It's Kiki, K-I-K-I. K-I-K-I. F-I-T. F-I-T. L-U-V. L-U-V. And this is on IG, right? Instagram, yeah. And then what am I on Facebook? Hold on. <laughs> Kiki oh. Fit Love. Yes. And on Facebook, I'm Zakia Pew. Z-A-K-I-A Pew. E-A-K-I-A-P-U and P-U-G-H, right? P-U-G-H, yes. And boom, there we have it. So Facebook and Instagram, y'all follow her, get some of her trainings. We were supposed to talk about fitness and not being a girl on social media, but that'll have to be for another show. <laughs> But I just want to say thank you for joining us today and thank you for um, for for showing up and being the creator of your own reality. And just because I, th I think being 
and and knowing that you are the creator, it first takes a certain level of consciousness to realize that and a certain level of awareness to realize that. And that's why I said in the beginning that we are the creators of our own reality. We're deliberate and we are one people uh, living our own truths within multidimensional realities because you know what may be right for you is maybe not right for me and it's not about us arguing about what's right or who's right but it's about being able to still love and accept each other where we are where we both are um instead of having a constant debate about why you know why it works for you but it doesn't work for me like it, it our experiences are different. And I think if we can come together and be united in the in the darkness of there there's unity in that. And in that we can create our own light. So Absolutely. I just want to say thank you so much for coming. And I appreciate you. And we are out. Thank you. I just want to say thank you so much to Ms. Zakia. We had such an amazing time. You guys go ahead and follow her, both her IG and her Facebook, as well as going to purposefullyunique.com. I tell you, the blogs are absolutely amazing and phenomenal. And I also want to thank you guys for coming ahead and coming to entrance you and just listening to Kia's story and listening to you know, our dialoguing because having faith is important and us being able to come together as people, as humans in dealing with issues, you know, uh, cognitive challenges aren't easy for any parent to go through from what I understand. I'm not a parent and I don't have a child who has uh, any challenges, but I do know from watching and speaking and talking to uh, talking to them that these these kinds of things are something of of a sensitive. Some are sensitive subjects, while others like here are willing to open up and to tell you their experiences to encourage you to be strong. So you guys keep being strong, keep being creators of your own reality, and trans you. And we are out. Y'all have a good day. Create a phenomenal day.